Welcome to episode number 330 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast brought to you from the Tux Digital Network. If you're brand new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan. I'm Michael. And I'm Jill. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we discuss an open source alternative to ChatGPT and Google Bard we want you to check out. We've checked it out. We're going to tell you what we think about it in the show. Then we're going to discuss some AI integrations with updates to only Office. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks, and all of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. In the community feedback this week, we have a lot of different types of feedback from a lot of different people. We typically give you the names of the people that we have the feedback from. But in this case, that would be the entire universe. So it's hard to us forgive you those names because it's everyone. And if you want to send your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash contact, tuxdigital.com slash forum. And you could also join us in the community and have you know conversations about Linux and also just hang out with the community in tuxdigital.com slash discord in our own discord server. Now, the entire universe wanted to tell us a lot of things. You see, our last episode, we received some comments, emails, posts on our forums, and, well, a lot of all of these things. Pigeon carriers, smoke signals. (laughs) Lots. Yes. In fact, we also even had secret messages written on our mirrors in our bathroom. And it was kind of awkward in that situation. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) so we decided to take some time in this episode to cover these comments and the feedback because there was a lot of interesting perspectives shared with us in in the comments. So yeah, we received tons of comments and a lot of those comments were a mixture of people who were praising us and thanking us for our take on the rel situation. Some of those were on the complete other side of how dare they say what they said. And then there were people in the middle who also had some really thought-provoking questions or comments that they've added in that were awesome. So appreciate all the feedback, no matter what. Except the ones calling us like corporate shills and stuff. I mean, yeah, and mouthpieces and yeah, stuff like that. N- yeah. None of that really helped. Not a but big fan of that. Interesting. Appreciate you taking the time to help us get YouTube algorithm up. Uh, so there's that. But, <laughs> For those specifics. Uh, yes. Yeah. The thought provoking questions in there are of particular interest because we did do a ton of research on that particular subject. We interviewed people from RHEL. We interviewed individuals who were impacted directly by this that worked for companies that utilize RHEL's base code. Um, and we re- tried to make the best uh, case we could for why we thought that there was a lot of people who were overreacting uh, to this information in many circumstances. But there were some people who had some really interesting takes like or questions even. like A lot of people really thought, Michael, this is a violation of the GPL, for instance. Yeah. That's an interesting point because this... When, after we were talking about it in the show, I was thinking about the feedback we got, and it made me realize something else, that some people might consider this a loophole, and I wouldn't say that that's an unfair assessment, because it, it's, it's not exactly violating the GPL, because the GPL has a certain requirement, and they abide by that requirement, but it also doesn't address this piece at all, so in a way, I guess you could call it a loophole, so... In that sense, I think it might be fair to be, you know, suggesting to go contact the GNU and the people who work on the GPL to address that sort of stuff. But it isn't technically violating the GPL at all. So in some ways, maybe it's a loophole, but it definitely isn't a violation. 
What did you think, Jill? I know you read through all of the yeah. comments, and uh, I did too. Typically, it just is kind of a mixture of different subjects that people will comment on. On this one, it was pretty much all rel. What were you, what was your take on some of the community feedback well, you saw? I was I was really impressed, and yeah, it it made me uh, think about it too, even even more. It it was nice to get other people's opinions for clarification on what the community was feeling about the topic. Yeah. So there's also this one interesting point. I had a conversation in the YouTube comments related to uh, our take and how we presented it. And I thought it, it's interesting because uh, people were misunderstanding our, what we had an issue with. Yeah. But they were misconstruing the idea that we were for the changes to CentOS in general not necessarily for this particular instance. So we were basically defending the change here because the change here does not affect what the people who are claiming it's being affected. It's not a violation and people who are claiming it's a violation and things like that. However, it doesn't mean that we were in total agreement with the original change of CentOS and how that was handled. That was a very unfortunate situation in a lot of ways. And just because we don't think this is as bad as people are claiming it is, doesn't mean that we are in support of the other one too. Yeah. You know? And there was like, like we stated in that episode, there were a lot of communication problems that, that Red Hat was putting out there. And that's just, that's been an issue. So yeah, a lot of people didn't hear that we were actually critiquing RHEL. And that to me is something that we really should have maybe dug in more on is the lack of communication because I think that is a problem. It's a problem that Rails had for so long. So maybe we didn't spend enough time talking about how bad it is because frankly, the communication at Rail has been bad for well, ever <laughs> in a lot of the things they do. And I really do think they need to work on that. But there is one thing specifically I want to clarify. And that is when we were talking about certain bad actors who utilize Rails code and then give nothing back. Some people were translating in the comments that we were talking about users, and we absolutely were not talking about users in this case. That would completely violate the open source philosophy and mindset. In this case, we were talking about some, not all of the businesses. There are a few businesses that take RHEL, they repackage it, they give literally nothing back, and then they advertise that yeah. they're better than RHEL, to RHEL's customers mm -hmm. utilizing their exact source code. And those particular companies, I really don't care that they have a problem with this. Now, on the flip side, this is where we could have done better explaining, there are companies who take RHEL's code exactly as it is, and they either give back through bug reports, they do driver fixes, they work with the RHEL community and the open source community to kind of create a better system overall, and they're a part of the infrastructure. Like yeah. people mentioned RHEL uses the Linux kernel, RHEL also gives back one of the biggest contributors back to the Linux kernel as well. That makes it more of a symbiotic relationship versus a parasitic relationship mm -hmm. that just a few bad actors have. And I think if you were to step back and think about it as a business owner, that a lot of the stuff RHEL's doing is probably partially to protect from companies who are going out there and utilizing their code and telling their customers they have a better option that's cheaper or they can offer better support or whatever it is. And they're giving nothing back to the product at the end of the day. And these are businesses, which is very different than a user. Because yes. we yep. mentioned users can go out there and get 17 licenses of RHEL to utilize on their machines, which 
That's for a small business, medium size. I couldn't use 17 servers to run our business. I mean, I could because I love running servers, but that's a lot that they're giving out there. So my point is that I don't want people to think we were talking about all of the derivatives of RHEL out there yeah. by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. But there are we're some not- that's like, come on, if you're making money off of this product, then you probably should be trying to give something back, if not bug reporting, fixes, and working with the community there. Yeah, so, I think that's an, a great point. And also, I think the RHEL clones situation is a perspective that a lot of people are not taking in consideration is the ethics of it. So I saw a bunch of people saying that this change from Red Hat about Rail is unethical. But then it made me think, how is a clone of someone else's product ethical? Like maybe it's legal in terms of the GPL, sure. It's, you're, it's okay technically to do that. But is it ethical? Because the concept of ethics is doing good or bad behavior and in this case would be doing good behavior to someone, is it good behavior to take someone's software and then do nothing, market yourself as doing nothing, change the logo, and pretend that you're somehow special and even more special than the people you're taking the code from? To me, that doesn't feel ethical at all. So you're saying, hey, from a GPL license standpoint, you can do it. Yeah. But ethically, are you doing the right thing? which is a question that has hit the music industry. It's hit the video game industry. It's hit the movie industry. When you talk about illegal downloads, all those things, or people just taking music and making it free. All these industries have locked down entirely. What did RHEL do here? Well, you still have Fedora, which is completely community-based that they contribute to heavily, and the community contributes to heavily, which is... You still have the ability to go get RHEL, 17 free copies of it. You still have the ability to get CentOS Stream and take all of what's coming into RHEL, all the future stuff right there. You just have to go in now and remove some of the chunks from CentOS Stream that aren't quite in RHEL to make your clone. So they've not made it impossible to do what they're doing. They just made made it it slightly harder. Slightly harder. Mm -hmm. Compare that to every other industry out there and how they've reacted suing their own customer all this stuff that happened in the music industry and things and i think that yes we can say that their communication was horrible and that was rude Mm -hmm. to the companies that do partner with them and do ethically take uh, a copy of rel and then add things to it or work back with rel to help and those things but outside of the communication i just i still stand by our stance on it but Appreciate everybody's comments and you made us think and you made yeah. us talk during yeah. the week about your comments and think about what stance we take on it. At this point, at least for me, I still think our take was the right take uh, minus we could have explained some things better. But we could have been that, more thorough. Yeah, yeah. That, that's about it. There's also just the idea of like when I was talking about the ethics, the ethics about this is more of just an interesting thought experiment, because if one company is doing one thing that's unethical and by changing the source code of access, isn't it something that should be considered whether this is ethical in the first place or not? Because you also have to consider how many clones exist in like this kind of ecosystem. When you talk about the Red Hat family of distros, you're typically talking about RHEL and things that are clones of RHEL. Not much else. There's Fedora, sure. And there's a couple of derivatives of Fedora, but they're quite different from Fedora. So when you're talking about the Red Hat family, it's typically clones. But you talk about other distro families, mm-hmm. we're not talking about clones. Like yeah. Ubuntu has Linux Mint and Elementary OS, and they're very different. 
isn't it something we should consider? Like, why are there so many clones of this particular distribution? And why is it okay for those to exist? But at the same time, it's not okay for a company to not want a copy of their software being done and presented in such a way that is trying to siphon out their, their audience. I even saw someone say, it's not like they're trying to steal their customers. Yes, it is. That's exactly what they're doing. Literally are doing that. (laughs) That's exactly what they're doing. So I I do think it's a fair point to say, well, this one company works on open source and this other company works on uh, open source. Why is it different? And the main reason it's different is because one company is developing and the other company is copying. Now, in certain cases, there are derivatives. There are clones that are working symbiotically with Red Hat or improving it with QA and all that sort of stuff. And that's great. But there are other ones who are doing a parasitic action. And I think that we shouldn't just pretend that every single clone is doing some grandiose thing that help everyone else. And we should take in consideration of like, it's, if one thing is not ethical, it's possible that the other side isn't ethical too, in certain situations. Yeah. And just to mention for those that say Red Hat doesn't contribute to the kernel that they take, or they mention, you know, Red Hat takes the kernel that... Red Hat uh, contributed 8% of the total kernel code in 2022 to the Linux kernel as an example. So they are very much contributing back to the Linux kernel that they For utilize. those who don't think that 8% is a lot, there is new releases with lots of line codes changes every six weeks for the kernel. So that's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> and there's like a, a lot, lot of... Com- <laughs> like a lot. There's a lot of companies involved in it too. So that, I mean, it's more of like... They are taking and improving and innovating. And you can go, there's a list of all the stuff that Red Hat has made mm-hmm. or has contributed to. And there, it is so long that they have to split it up into subsections. And it, if you open every section, you're going to be scrolling forever, basically. There are tons of examples. But I think Red Hat making this change is actually kind of interesting for another reason, because it shows which clones should continue to exist. Because if all they have to do is copy and paste and then rebrand, it's not much effort and pretty much anybody can do it, including Ryan. So, you know, wow. that's, that's, that's saying something. That's, that's saying, really something. saying something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, this is kind of a way to show if this clone survives, it means that they have a development team that is able to sustain and build it and kind of work on the same level that Red Hat can in a way because they're taking the CentOS stream code or something like that versus the clones that don't survive, you probably shouldn't be using those anyway. So it's kind of a, in in, in some perspective, it's kind of a an interesting way of seeing it's which a clones are test. worth using. Yeah, it's a Turing test. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, there's not they're not they're not AI, but you know, or are they? <laughs> or, or are they? Are they? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Store, which is the industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community, and they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features in their products. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms and without vendor lock-in. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't matter what OS you're using, and it doesn't matter what hardware you're using. If it is compatible, you can mix and match, do whatever you want, and Linbit still has the products for you. So with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. 
Lidenbit is run by its founders to this day, and all of its engineers are in-house, and they have global support available. Visit lidenbit.com to learn more about the awesome work at Lidenbit with DRBD, Lindstore, and more. Talking about the community and the universe of feedback that we receive, this week's main topic is going to be thanks to the community. So we appreciate and love all of your comments and feedback. One of our listeners, Command Master 567, which I assume is not their real name, but I could be wrong. I would like to assume that it is their real name. <laughs> Master really cool. 567 <laughs> asked us our thoughts on openassistant.io. So I was really happy to see this and I thought, well, maybe we'll put it in the community feedback section. But then I thought after playing with this tool, we need to do a whole topic, yeah, deep dive very cool. into this. I hadn't heard uh, of this until this feedback. So thank you very much for sending that in. Yeah, absolutely. And I hadn't heard about this either. And then there were people who were making comments after some news articles hit that were afraid of what was going to happen to the Linux desktop and open source with Microsoft putting billions and billions investment into chat GPT and then integrating that into Windows as an example. And then there are news articles out there about Google Bard being integrated into Chrome OS. So you have these two operating systems with these AI tools that are being integrated inside. And if you've not utilized the AI tools yet, you kind of understand a little bit why that's a big deal when you start using them because the productivity and things that you can do with them are quite extraordinary. Like, and we're on just the very beginning step. Tippity top. Yeah. Tippity top of this. <laughs> and it's just going to get so much bigger and expand out from there. You can just tell the, the amount of money companies are pumping into this. But even when you start use, utilizing these tools seriously, you start to understand your eyes open. You're like, wow, okay, now I understand why this is such a big deal for people. So I think it's a really good concern that people are having of what is Linux going to do in this case if we start falling behind in this world. And I think that's where Open Assistant IO kind of fits the bill perfectly here. So what is OpenAssistant.io? Well, it's a project organized by Leon. Leon? Leon? L-A-I-O-N. I mean, one of I those know. has to be right. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And individuals around the world interested in bringing this AI to the masses. So it's an open source project. And you've got lots of people who can get in there and are contributing to it. And you have an organized a company that's kind of organizing all of these steps. It's very much in the early stages of development. So please keep that in mind when you're playing with it. Don't expect that finished product or polished product that you're going to get from, I don't know, a company that had like $30 billion infused into it. But I'm going to tell you right up front, I was freaking impressed yeah, with yeah. this Too. tool not <laughs> having billions of dollars thrown at it, like how far this tool is along. It's licensed under the Apache 2.0 license, which, Michael, I believe is a very permissive license. Very permissive license. Yeah. There's a lot of different licenses, and a lot of people use the GPL as a mainstay of why we should uh, keep in mind of like the open source philosophy and stuff like that. But there are other licenses that are also open source related, but are even more permissive. And Apache is that. And effectively, what it means by more permissive is that you can do effectively whatever you want, including closing the source. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you can distribute it. You can modify it. You can distribute modified versions of it. No concerns of royalties. It's a very permissive license in there. But you mentioned you could even close source it. That means someone could take the code 
close source it yeah. and then resell it as something else, right? There's a lot of licenses that allow you to do that, including this and uh, the BSD license and the BSD, yeah. uh, MIT license all allow you to take the code and close it. You're saying somebody could take my Michael AI code that I wrote out there <laughs> and start packaging this and no. selling it? No, okay. because you released the Michael AI correctly under the MPL, yeah. which is similar to the GPL, but it's made by Mozilla. It has a little bit of different tweaks that make it more commercial friendly and is okay because, you know, yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about this whatsoever. And yeah. for those who want to go and take advantage of the awesomeness that is the Michael AI, well, you know, you, you better get on it right now because you never know when Ryan himself decides to close it because he can technically do that. Do I want to be a billionaire today or do I not want to be a billionaire? That's the question <laughs> I wake up asking myself with that code that's freely out there. Uh, it's all and, written in Python, which is quite amazing. And also so, shouldn't be out there. You know? And it's yeah. only 64 kilobytes. And yeah, no, it, it's. I thought it. I thought it got more. Because it might it got, got some, bigger because it has some Rust integration into yeah, it, so oh. that can be included some, uh, into pull the requests kernel. and stuff. Like, yeah. That's what's great about this ridiculous nonsense joke that Ryan did <laughs> is the community absolutely jumped in and decided to help improve it, including the license that Ryan didn't have on the for in the first place and right. helped yeah. with this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to this tool, which is almost as good as Michael AI, the almost. Open Assistant IO. Here, So my first experience when I got the email, I went and looked at this tool. I tried to sign in. I kept getting server internal errors. So I was like, oh, here we go. This is not going to be a good experience at all. But eventually I used the integrated single sign-on option. I think it was with, uh, they have Google and Apple as an option there. So I couldn't get to make my own email work, but I was able to use the SSO for the Google side and get logged in. You can also use Discord. If you want. Yeah, that was yeah. neat. Yeah. And then I started getting some additional kind of errors and things as I was trying to find the initial chat, like some server errors and stuff. But, you know, I'd refresh and the page would eventually come up. And honestly, I thought at one point it was just my internet. But after that, and I actually started to get to utilize it and see its prompts, my entire opinion changed. So that first experience was kind of wonky. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure people know that, not because I'm putting it down. This is not a polished product. We know that up front, but because I don't want you to go there, have that same experience and then give up on it. Because once you get it to start prompting and chatting with you, it's really impressive. Like, Very good. Mm -hmm. Really Excellent. impressive. It's shockingly good because when you think about an open source competitor to something that has billions of dollars invested in it, you assume it's not going to be a great alternatives just because it doesn't have that amount of investment right and that amount of developers and all that effort put into it but it's still very good i didn't even have those issues with the login issue i did have an issue with the login mm -hmm. but it was because it took a long time to get my email link sent to me there was like at least an hour wait time and oh, wow. at one point i just kind of stopped paying attention and i came back and it was there so i, I don't know how long it actually took because i didn't track it because why would anybody do that but once I got logged in, I didn't have any issues with the servers or nothing. Nice. And I also want to say that the UI of this open assistant is so much better than the open AI chat GPT UI. It's absolutely. Yeah, it's laid out nicer. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more polished. It looks just yeah. so much better. It was like when I when I opened it, I was like, oh wow, this is actually quite nice looking. And you compare it to Chat GPT, it ChatGPT is ugly. <laughs> Like, yeah. the yeah. color it's scheme like is terrible. GPT the GPT is beautiful. Yeah, good <laughs> right. point. Fair it just, point. It's just interesting. But the, 
the results I got, I actually would like, I have been using chat GPT and I've been using Google Bard and all these different AI chat bots and stuff like that for quite a while. And I have a history of stuff and everything. So I went and grabbed some stuff I sent in Google Bard, some stuff I sent in ChatGPT, and I just copy and pasted. And I just now realized I didn't even change. Like when you, sometimes some of the prompts you want to tell the prompt or, or the chatbot you're talking to that you are asking it to itself to act as something. So you say its name to itself. So it knows that. And in the chat for the open assistant, I included the snippet that had ChatGPT in there. Uh, so, but it still understood what I meant and it still gave me the results I was wanting. And the results it gave me for that prompt was better than the ChatGPT results of the same prompt. Sweet. So there you go. Oh, that's yes. sweet. Yeah, for, for me, it also took several attempts. I kept getting server errors, but after a few minutes, um, I was able to get in and I logged in with my uh, Google account. And I, I remember seeing the Discord on there as an option. I'm like, hey, that's really cool. <laughs> hey, we have a Discord too. Yes, we do. For those who want to join in the Open Assistant IO and use hey, it for single sign-on yeah. and join our Discord server to talk about it. There yeah. And, you know, it, it actually took a bit of time to process sometimes, but um, I had a, a, a question uh Shooted out a partially correct answer, but the last paragraph was awesome. <laughs> and, it, and it was my question, what is the history of the Destination Linux podcast? Nice. <laughs> and the first couple paragraphs, no, not, not a, a, exactly accurate. It had the wrong host names. <laughs> Probably listed me eight times. Yeah. <laughs> like Ryan, 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 yeah, Ryan, 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 Ryan. But I, I did want did to uh, read what it said Throughout its existence, Destination Linux has maintained a strong community following with listeners tuning in each week to hear what's new in the world of Linux and how they can improve their own Linux experience. Whether you are an experienced user or just starting out with Linux, there is something for everyone in this fun, informative, and entertaining podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to check them out. <laughs> wow. Man, I feel like they nailed it. I feel like I, they nailed they it. Did, they really, really did a great job. Did it say anything about Michael, though, negatively? About being no. awesome. <laughs> oh, darn. Well, they need to tune it some. They'll make yeah. tweaks here and there to it. Yeah. So, so one of the things I found while using the user interface is sometimes it took a bit of time to get your answers um, to your questions. So what I did is I found uh, clicking on the dashboard in the left-hand column um, button and then uh, clicking dashboard and then going back to the chat dialogue produced quicker results and the answers were immediately there. So sometimes if there was a little delay, Jill's <laughs> hacking it. Yeah. Jill, come on. <laughs> it it's an open source free project. You're already <laughs> hacking it. Unbelievable. It's, it's kind of interesting because you both had some issues with the performance and stuff like that. And I didn't yeah, have any of these any. issues. It, it didn't seem uh, maybe it's I because just, of the prompt differences. You're like, what makes the color blue? And we're asking it like really in-depth things, you know? So how do you uh, craft macaroni and cheese? See, it's interesting you know? that you would you would mock my ability to do prompts considering uh, the tip of the week this week is me explaining how to do prompts properly. Hey, you Just, know how to do prompts properly, but your questions are stupid. <laughs> you know what? We, what? Sh we should have put the code for Michael AI in there and have it improve it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> 
we could put that right directly into this. By the way, to the open assistant team, your genius is brilliant. I yeah. love your faces. Yeah. And my code is out there for the Michael AI if you want to borrow from that and add it into your um And code also base. I have a message for the open uh, open assistant team. If you do want to check out Michael AI, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> so I asked it some interesting questions. Uh number one, I wanted to do a team builder with my team during a happy hour thing we had, and it gave me some fantastic questions and things that we used and had a very successful team builder from it. So that was something I kind of utilized ChatGPT or Google Bard for to kind of generate new ideas on subjects. And it did fantastic there. I also asked it to explain to me issues with privacy between Android and iOS. Mm. And so this is kind of a more nuanced scenario, right? Because you're, I mean, heck, when I bring this up on the show, we get 80,000 people commenting on this. And I thought it did a fantastic job responding to this it it basically starts out saying depends on what you mean which one's better because each one has their strengths and weaknesses true but it goes on to say iPhones are generally considered more secure than Android i or phones because they have fewer vulnerabilities and offer stronger encryption options and Apple has a reputation for being more transparent when it comes to its data collection practices and gives users a lot of control over their personal information on the other hand, it mentions Android has lots of customization options and sticks to an open source philosophy, which allows developers to create a wider range of apps and options and alternative operating systems for the platform, which I thought was kind of an ingenious yeah. uh, answer there. And But it mentioned specifically, too, when I asked it further about, well, what makes Android less private than an iPhone in some cases and it mentioned the fragmentation because there are so many different versions of Android running wow. on devices <laughs> from different manufacturers. It's hard for Android to get all the updates out to the users that are there, which is the biggest complaint I have with Android is that a lot of people end up with unpatched devices. How much do we talk about patching and updating in Linux? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the Android users can't because manufacturers or the cell phone companies for that matter don't push the updates. So... Anyways, my point Speaking is... Speaking of which, I just want to say I did do updates this week. Congratulations, Yay. Michael. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it gave a very strong answer and something that would probably take you 20 to 30 minutes, depending if you didn't have information on the subject, to go and research yourself. And I uh -huh. got a couple paragraphs back, and that's kind of showing you the power of these kind of chat AIs is the ability to answer complex questions and give you kind of a summary of it very quickly, but then continue to dig in right from that same prompt, yeah. which is really, really cool. That's not, that that's better than my results for, from Google's Bard. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because going going digging in depth to these chatbots is kind of like the superpower a lot of people don't use yeah. because once you use a prompt, they're like, okay, that's all they can get. You it. can keep reiterating and tweaking it and give you more more results or different results. And you can say, you can take the same prompt that you already gave and then say, use what I gave you before, but also, and then change some tweaks here and there and, you know, get the different results. So I think that's this really... Uh, an interesting point about going dig digging deeper. The only thing I would say is that while Open Assistant did the pro the prompt well and gave you good results, I wouldn't trust these kinds of things to be accurate in most, unless they're giving like a broad concept. But when you're talking about like details of specifics, they usually don't get it right. But it is interesting that they said that fragmentation was a reason because there's a lot of fragmentation in Android. And it's not like, it, 
Linux has a lot of fragmentation too, but majority of the fragmentation in Linux is not that big of an issue. It's like Ubuntu versus Fedora. It's not or, keeping you from updating. Yeah, That's it's the not big yeah. Thing, right? an issue. Yeah, it's <laughs> not really causing an issue. Just call it causes differences, but not issues. Whereas you have people who have phones that have that not only have they not updated themselves, they don't have the ability to update because their manufacturer of that phone has decided that it's not worth their time. You know? Yeah, and, and we're talking in short periods of time too. We're not talking about somebody with a 10-year-old phone. We're yeah, even like six months sometimes. Year, two years, some things like that. Yeah. So in any case, there's a lot of work Google's doing to fix that along with manufacturers. So I'm not saying that will continue to be an issue, but I think it nailed a, a overall argument there very well. And you're yeah. 100% correct, whether you're using Google Bard, chat GPT or this tool. And they even say that very clearly, you need to do your additional research on anything you find is interesting outside the tools because these are not perfect. And all of them have given a lot of misinformation at times, uh, not open assistant, I could say, cause I haven't used it a ton, but chat GPT and Google Bard have given me a lot of misinformation over, mm -hmm. over the time period, but I know that it can do that. So I always research what it gives me as a result. So my only concern here, I guess my concern going back to the questions we received about Linux and what is it going to do with this competition with BARD and ChatGPT and things out there is my, my big concern was the scaling capability. How are we going to create an open source project? I mean, we've done it before, but it wasn't like it was simple. That's going to be able to compete with companies that have gabillions of dollars because it's in the gabillions now. It's a real point, yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, to throw at these resources and the hardware standpoint specifically, because you have to have really, really impressive hardware in a lot of instances to be able to pull off some of the results to feed the AI that ChatGPT and Google Bard have done doing. And they have millions of people voluntarily training them for them, which is an advantage we usually only have in the open source community. But they have that advantage without being open source. They've got millions of people utilizing it. And every time they use it, they're training it. And so how do we overcome that in the open source community? That was my big fear. Seeing Open Assistant gave me a lot of hope that that fear may be something we can easily overcome. But I'm also hoping Red Hat, SUSE, Canonical are going to come together here and utilize some of their resources to help kind of push AI machine learning forward. I would love to hear, maybe they already are. I didn't research this. I should have, but I would love to hear those companies sponsoring Open Assistant IO specifically to get this kind of to the next level. Yeah, that would be really cool mm -hmm. because the the there's a lot of sponsors already of this project. So it's really cool to see how many people are helping make this happen. And the Open Assistant, I the only thing I fear about this is that we have another example of Open AI which for those who don't know, ChatGPT was originally open source and they decided, hey, we can make a lot of money off this. Let's close it. And that's what happened with that one. So I don't, I hope this doesn't repeat that same process because especially since Open Assistant is already impressive, I, I can't wait to see what else it can do. And also some of the sponsors that they have are, you know, like TensorFlow. That's a pretty big sponsor, PyTorch mm -hmm. also. But also just because of its name, I, I also want to say thank you to Hugging Face. Yes. That's a, yes. <laughs> what a great name. It's so it's amazing. It's such a good name. Yeah. Well, well, the nice thing is that actually that the Linux Foundation has uh, started a consortium of businesses for open source innovation and artificial intelligence and data. So this would be a, a great uh, utilization of their service <laughs> to bring people together for the Linux desktop. So we're we're fully integrated. 
You know, open source finds a way. No matter what the odds are, no matter what mega corporations they're up against, open source always finds them, finds a way. And so you can't count them out. You know, we've got some really, and that was what this really taught me is like, I did not expect it to be as good as it was, Mm -hmm. considering the bajillions of dollars the other companies have had to spend. And here we're all saying unanimously, like the results were pretty close (laughs) to what you would get with the bajillion dollar option. Yeah. (laughs) that's pretty freaking impressive. And I want to give a call out to the community to utilize this as much as you can, because the more you're utilizing it, the more you're training the open source variant versus training the closed source variants like chat GPT uh, as an example. So I think it's really cool though. Very impressed. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could get some of the folks from open assistant IO to come on the show and talk to us about the hardware you're utilizing, because that would be yeah. fascinating to me. And oh, yeah, know, some of the really cool, cool things and the roadmaps that you have for this product. So we'd love to have you. Open on. invitation to open. Absolutely. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. That's slash T-U-X. Now, password manager software allows you to have peace of mind knowing your passwords are safe and secure. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Go right now to bitwarden.com slash TUX to get started for free or check out their $10 premium account. That's $10 per year. And you get a bunch of additional options, including two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo. So head bitwarden.com slash Tux to get started. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So there's a lot of office suites available out there, and there's one that we use quite often, especially I do, because it's it's a very nice uh, suite. Only Office is a very popular Microsoft Office alternative and has really good support for Microsoft Office documents, which is one of the reasons why it's a popular alternative. And with their new version that they have recently released with 7.4, there are some really cool, nice enhancements with... AI being part of that. What? We have AI built into our office suite too? Yay. Oh my exactly. gosh. This is amazing. <laughs> Who could have thought this would ever happen? No, actually this <laughs> is. I'm kind of just being uh, silly there, but for real, I was really impressed with this. Yeah. Although they're using chat GPT integration. So it's that part is not as great, but it's still good overall to have but the it's option. there. And I think when Microsoft is integrating ChatGPT into its operating system, I think the most useful place for that is two places. One in the search engine, what they're doing with Bing, because that's where people are yeah. going to get questions answered. And number two, when you're writing a document, right? That's where you're going to want that assistant to come in and say, hey, can you write this more creatively? Can you write this so that I don't sound like a jerk? Can you make it sound more playful? Can you make that it so that it would be really nice to yeah. just already have the document written and you just like select it and say go through the prompt mm-hmm. versus having to open the tab and do it manually copy and paste and all that sort of stuff that is a very good point because that's kind of the majority of my usage of these kinds of chatbots yeah absolutely and only office has been my favorite office suite i like libreoffice i love it don't get me wrong but i've had a lot of situations in the past. I will be honest and say I haven't tried it recently, so I owe it to the community to go do that. But in the past, where LibreOffice didn't translate as well as only Office did, some of the documents I would receive from other people in Office. Now, when I say that, I want to mention that uh, it's really not LibreOffice or anybody else's fault. Microsoft makes it incredibly difficult to translate yeah. their stupid formats for anybody. So they have a, they have a, I saw this recent, uh, like a webcomic that was making fun of the idea of Microsoft making 
a like making a project or a format that's super closed source and they don't do any documentation and how people are you know super annoyed by this and then the webcomic also says and then there's their open source formats that they also have zero documentation for and don't help you with anything and you have to figure <laughs> it all out yet somehow people are okay with it and it just made me laugh about the idea of like these yes they have open standard formats these days now however they sort of help make those standards and they don't document what they're doing. So it makes it difficult for only office or labor office to actually, even though they're open still, it's very difficult to support it. Yeah. And when you're dealing with this translation layer, it could be not as important if you're doing personal documents or maybe I'm sending files between me and Jill or me and Michael. But if you've got say documents for real estate that they're sending you in word, and then you're sending it back signed, for instance, and your signature because you're using a different format is in the left corner instead of where the signatures, these type of things, or you're creating a PowerPoint for work oh, and yeah. you have a PowerPoint template, but it doesn't translate right when you actually go to work to present it. These are these are the issues in which that translation becomes super important uh, to be done correctly. And I think only Office has done a really good job of it. I also like their plugin system which makes it super easy to add in additional plugins like the ChatGPT plugin. As a heads up, though, you will need the paid subscription to ChatGPT because it uses an API call. And to get access to the API call, you have to pay for the ChatGPT version to do that. So that's one of the downsides. And what I want to do is make a call to only Office to say, hey, put OpenAssistant.io plugin in there as well because that would be dope and we don't have to have yep. the API plug that we have to pay for in combination with that. And that's what only office should add in. Now I know why they did chat GPT. I think it's a smart move. They're trying to compete with Microsoft office. You need chat GPT uh, yeah, they, option they there yeah. for its users, but let's add another one for open assistant IO. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, and you remember you guys, we actually interviewed only office on, on destination Linux episode number 222. So go check that out. Yes. So they, we know they listen. Yes. We know you're listening. Get Open Assistant IO out there. Psst. No pressure, though. No pressure. But do it. And, and there was actually a plugin I was really impressed by. So you can use the chat GPT plugin in only Office to not only generate text, but to generate an image based on your text selection. Yeah. Which is then embedded in the document, and and this is amazing. Very like cool. it, like if you're talking about open source, and you can select the word open source, and it will find an image that kind of relates to open source, <laughs> yep, and and put it in your document. And honestly, this is the power of Chat GPT and the awesome devs at Only Office coming up with a feature that is truly useful for everyday use. And that is the key. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but if you're using their only office presentation, which is their PowerPoint alternative, you yeah. can now freehand draw on the slides. Yes. Yes, Ryan. This is I very love cool. That. When I need Michael's signature, for instance, to approve my art, he can now just sign the picture. Yeah. Uh, and say that he approves it. He never approves it. That so has never happened. The signature. So uh, don't worry about it. You can insert radar charts into your sheets, docs, or slides to illustrate multivariate data through graphs. And if you work with documents and have multiple versions, like agreements or contracts, this is a big deal for a lot of people. You can combine those documents. Basically, it means you can merge two versions of this, the document, versions of contracts into one document. So they have those type of features built in. 
Um, and you can also track changes that occurred between them and reject or accept those changes when you're merging as well. So lots of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot more than even we're going to cover here in only Office. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. I think it's just very cool that we're seeing the AI stuff, again, to alleviate the fears people have being integrated into our open source uh, ecosystem. Yes. So does all this complicated talk of AI and machine learning have your brain (laughs) overloading? Boom. It's exploding, Jill. Make something simple. Give me something happy. (laughs) Will do, Ryan. So this game will certainly help ease your deep thinking. The game is called A Car That Turns. Mm, the control, <laughs> the I wonder controls what are simple. you do in this game. Yes. Turn left, turn right, and drift. And it's slightly more complex than NASCAR, but doesn't require a <laughs> list of complicated combos. Slightly or, more complex because it turns right. Or, exactly. or, or puzzle solving. <laughs> and the game actually does require mastery and repetitive practice. And my favorite part is their statement. It's built by an indie with love. No ads, no data collection, no IAPs, just game. And this game is, is fun. It's challenging and to me, frustrating all at the same time. Uh, but, I, but I have a hoot playing it. And it will also help uh, Ryan's driving skills. Let's go. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. What? <laughs> Jill, what, why, how do Jill, I get? There hurt? is absolutely no hope in that. There's no chance. Jill, there is no reason to be so savage on this show. We are a friendly community show, and you're bringing all of this uh, fire, this heat, yes. my direction with my driving. My driving skills, by the way, are fantastic. They're I, excellent. I just don't just know where I'm going. Skills. Exactly. I was yeah. going to defend you, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, you Mike. You actually have good driving skills. Good. You just have no idea where you're using them. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, I apologize, Ryan. I actually, uh, every time I've been in a car with you, you've never been driving. So <laughs> That's probably this. a good thing, Jill. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing for someone who doesn't know the area, yeah. who also doesn't know how to navigate any area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should just make Map Ryan I mean, that's drive true. by that's default fair. when it comes to scale, because it doesn't matter if he's at home or here, he still gets lost. Just walk in a circle until <laughs> someone comes and finds me. <laughs> I'm just, I'd be curious to see if we could do like a challenge for Ryan and be like, okay, let's go back in time and like only have the paper map. Can Ryan do it? Lord, man. No, the answer is no. There's no reason for a challenge. The answer is no. Okay. But listen, Jill, I might uh, keep using this game to get some of my car skills up. The question is, does this game appeal to Michael and his, you know, love for games played by five-year-olds because it has cars in it? (laughs) The the answer to that is actually yes and no, because unfortunately it doesn't have rocket boosters or a soccer ball. Yeah. However, it does have the car part, so there is at least one out of the three requirements. <laughs> so I do appreciate that part. And I will be giving it a chance because I do like games that are you know simple, but also require a lot of precision. And yes. oddly enough, I kind of feel like I like frustrating games. And huh. this seems like it would be pretty frustrating in terms of like mastering it, you know? Oh, yeah. it is. Honestly, for me, I play uh, Trackmania a lot, and it's basically yeah. a car puzzle platformer. And uh, this this has some of the skills that I need 
to play track mania. Very cool. With. We get to practice. Yeah. And what's interesting about a car that turns is there is actually no sound in the game. So the soundtrack is composed of your own colorful metaphors and noises <laughs> for your failed attempts to drive around a corner. That is a wonderful way of describing that they don't have a soundtrack. Yeah. Colorful metaphors. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Uh. <laughs> From Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Uh, That's right. So uh, uh, you can pick it up for $1.99 on Steam and enjoy driving a car that turns. And it is also available for mobile on the Google Play and Apple App Store. I always, for one, appreciate a car that turns. Yeah. You know, yeah, a car that doesn't turn, just Not dragster. Very good. And you can only use it in like one. One little <laughs> one. Yeah. Which... I might be able to find my way if everything was just right in front of me, you know. But my mind is very complex. I'm always thinking of deep, detailed mathematical equations. I don't have time yeah. to learn where I'm at, Michael. That's, that's <laughs> oh, true. that's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I respect that. Then our software spotlight may What's help two you get plus two. <laughs> Shut up, Michael. Six. All right. Our software spotlight is Newell. In this software spotlight is a chat bot program written in GTK4 and Ottawa that allows you to interact with your system and perform various commands. I figure if I say it really fast, no one will know that I'm not a mispronouncing. I don't know if that's how you say it. I don't know if that's how you say it. I've said Edwada, Edwada. There's a different way. But the way you said it was so wonderful. It, so it made me laugh because I, I heard what you said and it was it, it, it's, it sounds like it would be accurate. But I also heard, I don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> I, wanna. I, I heard Ada Lovelace, Ada Wada. <laughs> so. There you go. Either way, no matter how you pronounce it, that's what the program was written in. And the bot I'm utilizes this point forward, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Botchat and the API from Bavarder for unlimited and free communication there. So. That's nice. exciting. Uh, you can tell it things like write a code example from three different programming languages. So if you want it to write an example of code in Python and also C Sharp and those things, you could do that here. It's like your assistant on your desktop application. You could tell it to execute commands on your system. Like for instance, I told it to find a flat pack and it gave me the directory in the console where the flat pack was. Uh, it saves messages so nice. you can keep interacting with chats. You started day after day expanding upon them. And then other options, you can do image manipulation, creating clean images, basic image editing operations. So you could just type, hey, edit Michael's face out of this podcast and it <laughs> might do it. Well, for the picture, not for the whole podcast. Sorry, everyone. Michael will edit right here, though, his face out of the podcast, but leave the rest of his body right at this moment. Let's see if he does it. If you're watching the video version, you have file folder tempted. management. You have viewing and deleting files and folders, moving and sorting files, writing programs, basic code execution. Basically, you've got an open source GPL 3.0 license tool to do all the cool stuff that those other folks on the closed source things are doing right there on your desktop. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, it is a really cool idea of taking the integration, especially using it with a flat pack. I was surprised how well it worked as a flat pack, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's it requires so much you know, permissions to deal with your system in that way and run commands and stuff like that, that I didn't think a flat pack would allow you to do that sort of thing. So it's very cool that they that you can use this as a flat pack. And it has a lot of cool features. There are some things like the the writing programs and the code execution, I think could be improved quite a bit, but it's very nice and it works very well. Uh, the only thing I would say is like the code execution, the, the thing that 
I felt like when I was doing it, it kind of felt like I could just do it faster in a terminal. But when I thought that, I immediately thought, oh, wait, if I had like forgot what it actually was, you could ask the chat bot, what is the command I should use? And that did work and it gave me what I needed. So that was very nice. Yeah, this is really good. You know, like we were talking about earlier for beginners learning terminal. Uh, and, and for those of us that sometimes forget <laughs> commands, yeah, it all, it happens to all of us. And I had actually uh, told it to create a destination Linux folder, and it did it beautifully. And what was really cool is I was using a Pop OS, and it was right in there, the Pop OS software center. So I didn't even have to download the the flat pack. <laughs> so Very nice. that was really yeah. there, I, was I didn't really test this about but- that. <laughs> Now I'm curious if it can do it. I didn't test this, but what I want to know is I've done like folder management in these kinds of things. And KDE Plasma's Dolphin has a really cool feature of being able to make a single folder inside of other folders in like a tree. Oh, you just yeah. put the yeah. name and do like a slash and you can continue to do it and have this. You can like actually create multiple folders all inside of each other in that way. Yes. And it, it made me think, but you can't do that in multiple instances. You do it each version time separately. And I was wondering maybe if this tool could create a folder that's on like maybe four or five different folders all in the same thing at the same time versus doing the subfolder thing. That way you could quickly create like folder templates and all sorts of stuff. I didn't get a chance to do it before because I just thought of this, Mm, but that would be awesome. That was a good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Now there's still some bugginess here and there at times you'll type something and it would just shut down or you'd get different errors and stuff. So keep that in mind, but I think it's very useful. It's something I plan to keep on my machines and something you could get some use out of. Yeah. And earlier we were talking about um, AI chat, AI integration on Linux. And here's a really good example of that. Yep. Yeah. We're getting it. We're yeah. there folks. <laughs> so let's move on to the tip of the week. Hello there, neighbor. I hope you're having a beautiful day. And this week's tip is going to be how to use AI chat bots promptly and effectively. Now, you might be wondering why I said it that way. We'll get to that in a second. So you can break complicated questions down into more manageable chunks. So you want to do a, like a general rule is like 400 characters or less per question. And one thing you can do is actually do a creative way of getting responses. For example, you can change the voice that it is talking in. So like I did, you could tell it to write a response in the voice of Mr. Rogers or something like that. Or you can maybe sound like uh, Pleiades or Archimedes or something like the Pleiades. I had Archimedes in my head and I said Pleiades instead of Plato. I've never heard of Pleiades, <laughs> but is that a good philosopher, Pleiades? I've read Plato, but not Pleiades. Pleiades is fantastic. He's a combination. He's actually like a hodgepodge merge of a, a, a chatbot AI that went back in time and took the same <laughs> thoughts between Plato and Archimedes and put them together. Exact, exactly. That's that's, or maybe it was a Pilates, Pilates? thing. <laughs> that's yeah, what one maybe. of our patrons is saying. Yeah. Pilates. Our, our pa- that, that's, thanks for helping out, patrons. <laughs> or or so. maybe you can you can say to, to tell it in uh, Mr. Spock's voice from Star Trek. And, sure. And maybe he'll give you some colorful metaphors. There you go. Probably. <laughs> Jill, you're <laughs> teaching kids. So, Bad behavior. 
when you can do all these sorts of things, you can also ask the AI to give you results in a particular format. Let's say, for example, you need a comma comma separated value file. You could tell it to give me tags in a single line separated by commas. And you basically get a CSV document. And you can tell it specifically to do certain things like limit the responses to only what you need. Maybe you only need a paragraph. Or maybe you need only three sentences. Or a specific amount of characters. You don't want it to go past. You can say that in the prompt. And it will abide by that usually. Sometimes it will expand and say at the very bottom, sorry, I couldn't get it less than this. And that's still useful in some cases, yeah. but yeah. it still will be able to summarize and condense whatever you're trying to do it. And you can even say, you know, summarize an article and it will be able to take a long article and give you a small you know, snippets or maybe even bullet points if you tell it to do bullet points, you know, all sorts of stuff. So there are so many things you can use the AI chatbots to do. And these are just a, quick, a few quick tips in order to optimize that usage. Why is prompting important? Because it's like back in the day, when the internet started to become popular and people thought you were a wizard because you could go out there and use certain search keywords in a browser and things mm -hmm. to get results that nobody else could get. And to me, ChatGPT is this, not ChatGPT, these AI programs are the same way and how you're prompting them to be able to get the results that you want is just as important if you're wanting to be that wizard like you were maybe in the 90s with the uh, browser commands that so you, you had the browser here. commands then you yeah. had the google foo that followed that and then you have the That's now google. ai prompts that follows that so yeah. basically if you want to you know look like a wizard on the internet all you need is the prompt this show to it, this show yeah this teach show. you the yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that's that's what that's what i meant this show that's it so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we hug your faces and love your faces. Yes, Join we us. hug your faces. <laughs> love it. Nice callback. <laughs> Join us in the Discord at TuxDigital.com slash Discord. If you want to watch the show live, become a patron of Destination Linux. Help support this amazing show and community. And you get to watch a live recording of the show every Sunday. Yeah, just like the patrons here that are enjoying that and, and giving us help and tips to how we can save the terrible flubbing I did of Pleiades or whatever. Pilates. Pilates. <laughs> Isn't exactly. it Pleiades? <laughs> there's, a, there's probably lots of ways that I could have saved it without looking ridiculous, <laughs> but I didn't do those. So continuing on, if you become a patron, watching live is just one of the awesome things that you can do and you all the perks that you get. You also get access to unedited versions of the show, plus you get access to the patron-only post show that happens every week after the show, right after we get done recording. And then you can do all of this by just going to tuxdigital.com slash membership and signing up. And you can also support the show by getting some cool swag Yay. at the Tux Digital store, which is tuxdigital.com slash store. We have mugs, hats, hoodies, stickers, t-shirts, coasters, all sorts of great stuff at tuxdigital.com slash store. And we have so many awesome shows here on Tux Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, Linux Saloon, and our newest show, Fit and Fueled, to keep your not only your minds alert, but your bodies too. So everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these incredible shows. And don't forget to leave a, a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. 
Everybody have a great week. It's 4th of July here in the United States. So if you're celebrating that, happy 4th of July. Please be safe. Don't drink and drive. Yes. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Love you all. And if you're not in the U.S., you can still celebrate the 4th of July because it is a fun day anyway. Yeah. Fireworks are always... Fireworks. Explosions. <laughs> exactly. Pyro. You know, fire. You could celebrate booms. as honorary Americans. Yeah. <laughs>